If you're joining us right now, I want to catch you up on what we talked about last week. We're in a very important series right now that we're calling Check Your Capacity. And I want to make clear, especially if you're brand new, one, we just want to welcome you. We want to say thank you so much for being here. And you're, you're jumping in right in the middle of a very important, healthy church conversation that involves our church family. And you're going to learn a lot about what our church is about and the difficult struggles that we're in right now as we pray and believe God to move us into the future, but we just want to communicate to you, if this is your first time here, you're going to hear a healthy church conversation, but we want to know, we want you to know that for you as a first-time guest, there are no expectations on you. We want you to be here. We want you to be blessed. If you want to get involved and you want to financially support the church, then we would welcome that, but this is a conversation for our church family that you're coming in on and wanted to give you some context. We're talking about check your capacity. And last week, we started using the analogy of capacity and oil from the story that we read, and you guys saw me with a measuring cup and some oil, and you're going to see me using this a lot again today, and we started talking about where our church is at, and today we're going to begin to get, especially next week, into a little bit more detail. We started talking about how our church has grown so, so much, but our capacity has stayed the same, and some of that is due to COVID, and some of it is due to other reasons that we're going to discuss today. And over the past year, our Discord has grown by over a thousand people. We went from 2,500 to 3,500. And at first glance, that sounds super exciting. Like, thank God we're reaching more and more and more and more people. But over the past year, our volunteer base has relatively, relatively stayed the same size. We've had some new volunteers that have joined us, but then also some due to things in life that have had to be able to step down from their position, so we went up, but then we went back down, and that's normal church life, and that's normal, that's to be expected. No one can always serve 365 days out of the year. That's to be expected. Our financial budget for the church has relatively stayed right around the same. The amount of pastors that we have has relatively stayed around the same, even though we brought on Pastor Tammy earlier this year before she had an official staff position and was given the title of pastor. She was really doing most of all the same things she's already doing. She was already serving and loving our people. So the amount of leaders, staff, volunteers, and finances that we've gotten over the past year has really stayed the same, although the amount of people that we're serving has increased drastically. I also shared with you last week that even just six days of activity last week, that we had gotten 30 new people in the, sorry, 32 new people in the Discord, but 30 of them had left in that same six-day period. And at first glance, you might be thinking, well, people might join the Discord, check it out for five minutes, realize they don't like it, and then leave. And that does happen. Again, that's natural for Discord life. But a lot of it is new people are joining and old people are leaving. And obviously, when I say old people, I don't mean age. I mean people that have been around for quite some time. People that have been at our church for a year, just all of a sudden leaving. And we'd love to know why. We'd love to talk to them. We'd love to be able to get to know them. And we've been really getting honest as a church and asking ourselves, hey, what's the root issue behind all of this? Lots and lots of people are, are leaving. What's been going on for the past year as we've got more people in, more people leave, and even though we've still net worth a thousand positive people, we've had a lot of people that have left. And we're asking ourselves, the church, let's not pretend like everything's okay when it's not. And is, is it our systems? Is it our ministries? Is it our leaders? And although, of course, our systems can always get better, our leaders can always get better, I can always get better, we have diagnosed our problem as simply 
capacity. If this measuring cup were to represent the amount of space that we have, which means the amount of leaders that we have, the amount of volunteers that we have, the amount of finances that we have to be able to take care of our people, that would be our capacity. And over the past year, our capacity has remained the same while the amount of people that have joined our church has grown drastically. And if you can imagine, like I did last week, if I want to take this entire, what is this, gallon, two gallons? It is one gallon, 3.78 liters. If I were to take this and to pour it into this measuring cup, the measuring cup would get full and it'd look really impressive. Wow, look at all they're doing. Look at all the people they're reaching. Look at all the media exposure that God Squad Church gets. But then what you wouldn't see is you can imagine, if I were to pour all of this in this capacity, it would look full and impressive, but you can imagine most of it would just spill onto the ground. Most of it, which represents real life people, would just spill on over, people falling to the wayside, not having enough capacity, leaders, volunteers, finances that we need to take care of all the people that God has put into our care. And we've diagnosed our issue not as our leaders, not as our systems, not as our volunteers, but just the amount of them that we have, the capacity. I told you last week that if we did a person and church per pastor ratio, be 872 people per pastor. And I showed a picture last week where you saw Pastor Ball is in the middle, and he looked pretty insignificant. And so this week and next week, what I want to do is I want to diagnose what are two of the main reasons why I think we're having capacity issues, and then talking about what we can do about it. And this week, I want to talk about issue number one, which is the issue of significance. Now, if you've been on Twitch at all for a very long time, you have probably seen that there's been a change over the past month or so. There's a game that has blown up, similar to like Fall Guys did, and it kind of looks similar. It's cartoony. You'd think it would never blow up on Twitch, but it did. It's called Among Us, okay? Put some kind of emote in the chat if you've played Among Us. I played last night for the first time, okay? I was Susie Suss last night, and I didn't win. Matty Ice got me kicked out. Dude, you threw the game. I wasn't the imposter and pastor, okay? I wasn't him, and I got kicked out for no reason. But Among Us, if you haven't heard it, is a game where it's similar to Mafia in real life. And in the game, there can have up to 10 people, and there's eight crewmates that walk around, do all these tasks, but then there's two people that are secretly the imposters. And the only people who know that the imposters are both imposters. Everyone else is trying to survive while figuring out who the imposters are. And they're performing tasks while the imposters are sneaking around and killing their friends, and then no one wants to get caught so obviously, it's just joking. It's not actually lying. Everyone goes into the game knowing that it's just fun. They're all going to kind of bend the truth a little bit, but it's just a good time. It's not sinful. It's not lying. But they're all going to try to trick each other to make each other think that they're not the imposter and in hopes that the imposters kill everyone off before they get caught. And maybe you've played this game, and we've got a clip that I want to show you from uh, the legendary The Matty Ice because this game can be a friendship ender, Okay. And maybe you've had moments and you've experienced moments like this. Okay, I did no, wires. Too late. Let me <laughs> speak. Let me speak. Clear cogs. Clear cogs. Clear cogs. Okay. If it's not I did him, wires in there. Okay, I'm done. You guys just oh, speak over. What? Madding <laughs> is so wait, 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 wait in a meeting and we'll kill Hawk if it's not Maddie. They just do speak. it. Maybe you've played Among Us and you've experience something similar 
among us, the new friendship ruiner. And obviously, Matty Ice is joking. I asked his permission to show that clip. He's hanging out with friends of the community. Solux was there. Other people were there. And among us is a game that is very, very unique because everyone's trying to figure out who the imposter is. And no one knows who it is. So it could be anybody. So you're doing your best to speak your piece. Well, let me give you all of the evidence that I have as to why I'm not the imposter. I'm not the imposter. I'll tell you where it was. I'll tell you what I was doing. I'll tell you the task that I was doing. I'll tell you that's other sus person that I saw and why I think it's actually them. And you can go through all of it, and at the end of the day, no one believes you anyway. You can take all the time you want in the world to give your peace and show your evidence. And at the end of it, just like for Matty Ice, no one believed it. He just got voted off. He, in that moment, may have felt insignificant. Maybe you've experienced that in real life. And by the way, Matty Ice was actually not the imposter, okay? Booyah team. Maybe in moments in life, you've gone to your boss with this big elaborate plan that you thought would change the face of your company. You thought it was genius. We could be improving here and doing this. And you worked up the nerve to sit down in his office. And after all that time of you explaining what you wanted to do, he just shuts it down. You probably felt a little insignificant. Maybe you went to your spouse and you feel because maybe your spouse has a more domineering personality that they kind of always get their way and you never get your way probably leaves you feeling a little bit insignificant. Whatever the reason is, maybe you log on Discord, it's 3,500 people, and you feel like you're just one of 3,500, you might feel a little bit insignificant. For me, honestly, growing up in high school, I had a group of friends who did everything together. Played basketball, went to the mall, watched movies. Everything you can think of that a teenager does for fun, we did, okay? And we all did it together, and I loved my friends so much. But the thing that always hurt me was in most group of friends, there is that one person who the group, the group would be least affected if they weren't there. Every group normally has that one person. Unfortunately, I was that person. My friends, they loved me. They did. They were kind to me. They never did anything wrong to me. But I always knew if one person were to move away and nothing really would change, I knew it was me. When we would try to make our plans, you know, one of our buddies, one of our, buddy, uh, one of our buddies' name was Joe, and if Joe couldn't show up, oh, I can't believe Joe's not going to be able to be here. Man, maybe we should just cancel our plans altogether. But then we would do them anyway, and we'd be bummed that Joe wasn't there, but if we were making plans, if for whatever reason I couldn't attend, it really wasn't a big deal. Oh, yeah, we'll just do it anyway. No one would really make a fuss. No one would complain. No one would even say, oh, you know, we're sad you won't be there. Just say, oh, right, we'll catch you next time. Next time we all go out, you'll be there. And they were kind to me, but I knew that in my group of friends, I was the most insignificant. And in our church, what's happening is because we're growing so large without the amount of capacity and leaders and pastors to keep up. People are just becoming another person in the discord. Maybe you've been a part of our community for a long time, and maybe you've never even had the chance to talk to one of our pastors. If I were to go around the room and ask our pastors, have every one of you spoken to every single person in our discord? The answer would be no. Have you taken the time to pray for every single person in our discord? The answer would be no. It's not because we don't love all of you. It's not because we don't care. It's simply just because of our capacity. There's not enough hours in the day. 
not enough minutes in an hour, not enough work days in the week for our leaders to be both healthy and minister to everyone. And maybe you're listening to this right now and you've stuck with us for quite some time, but you're going, yeah, I, I felt that. I felt like I needed prayer and I reached out and it took three weeks for me to get a response and, and it was relatively serious. And at first you're like, well, why don't you just, if someone messaged you and it's serious, why don't you just put them at the top of the list and let the other not so serious issues wait a little bit longer. But when you have 3,500 people and four pastors, there's enough serious issues that even the serious issues get put on the back burner. And so we're taking a look at our capacity so that people don't feel insignificant. And so what I want to do today is I want to revisit last week's story from a different perspective and another story that's going to help us see something that we need to learn as a church as a root issue of our capacity condition as what we can do to continue to grow and serve and love the people that God's put in our path. I read the same story last week, but if you weren't here, I'm going to read it again. Then we're going to backtrack and break it down. 2 Kings 4, 1-7, it's about the woman with the oil and the jar. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out, Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. She called what she had insignificant. Elisha, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars, but don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left them and shut the door behind her, her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she just kept on pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But her son replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, he said, go sell your oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. To recap the story, we see a woman who's in need. She's in debt because her husband has died, and she needs money to pay off her debt. And so she approaches the prophet Elisha, says, I need help. And we see by the end of the story that God did a supernatural miracle, not just to provide for her debt, but enough that her and her sons, not just her, but her and her family, could live off the rest of her life. But I want to point out to you a very, very important verse. Verse number two. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And your servant, her speaking about herself, has nothing there at all except some little jar of oil. Hey, what do you, so what do you have? Basically nothing. She called the very thing that God used to perform a supernatural miracle insignificant. The same thing that God used to pour over and over and over and over again. And by the end of the story, we see that it was the solution all along. She called it nothing. So what do you have, woman? Nothing, just this small, worthless, insignificant jar of oil. And I wonder how many of us in our church and in our community feel insignificant with what you have to offer. 
I wonder if, if I were to come to you today and ask you, hey, why don't you serve or give financially to the church? I wonder if you were to say to me, I've got nothing to offer. I'm not really super talented. I'm not really super gifted. I don't really have a ton of money. I, I just don't give or serve because I'm just, I'm nothing. I'm just this little old thing in a discord full of 3,500 people. I'm just, I'm just nothing. I mean, if I gave, it wouldn't even really make a big difference anyway. I've only got $5. I've only got a small gift. I don't really serve or give because I'm just, I'm just nothing. I don't have gifts and talents like other people I've seen. I'm not like that person. I'm not as rich as that person. I'm not as talented as that person. I'm just insignificant. And I think that for a lot of people, they don't serve. They don't give because they feel like this. But I've come to share with you that God in this story took something that she thought was nothing, she thought was insignificant, and performed the greatest miracle she had ever seen. God used the natural to do something supernatural. He took something ordinary and did something extraordinary. And I've come to declare to you in Jesus' name that about you, you are not insignificant. You are not nothing. I don't care what other people have said about you, that you're not good enough, or that you don't have enough, or that you don't have anything to offer. God has created all of you with your own unique personality, gifts, talents, your own financial budget, and even if it's small, it's not insignificant. I know that you might look at other people and you might feel that you look like this. Well, compared to some other people with all these talents and all this money, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just nothing. I mean, look at that. I don't even measure up. I'm so insignificant. But can I tell you, just because you feel like you might have less doesn't mean you have nothing. It doesn't mean that you're insignificant. And when you take what you have and you put it into God's hands, he can multiply it to use the ordinary to do, do the extraordinary. Now, there's something key in the story that I want you to see to help us understand significance. Because in verse 2, we see that she says, I, I've, got, I've got nothing. Just a small jar of oil. But then look what Elisha says to her. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Then go inside, shut the door, and pour the oil into all the jars. We know the end of the story. God was able to fill all the jars supernaturally, but first it needed to be a community effort. She, by herself, with just her small but still significant jar of oil, was not enough to fill the jars. He said, go get your neighbors involved. Go get your community involved. And together, all of you can make a miracle happen. And the beautiful thing about this story is that the woman had an oil, but her friends had jars. You might have oil. Someone else might have a jar. You might have one gift. Another person might have another gift. And together, we make the impact. Together, we make God make a miracle. And even though you only have one small thing to offer, 
it doesn't mean that what you have is insignificant. We all have different amounts of talents, gifts, experience, capacity, finances. But can you imagine what we could all do if we got all the neighbors? If we got all the members of our community? Can you imagine what we could do if all 3,500 people actually volunteered and served? Can you imagine what we could do if all 3,500 people actually gave? In our church, over the past 365 days, out of 3,500 people in Discord, 182 people have given. 182 out of 3,500. And the average person gives a little over $10 a month. Could you imagine what we could do if everyone was willing to grab their own jar? If everyone was willing to grab their own oil? Even if we've all got different amounts? Can you imagine what we could do if we gathered the neighbors and actually allowed God to use us? He said, go to your neighbors and grab the jar. Then God did a miracle. Moving down to verse 5 and 6, she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept on pouring. But when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. This is what we need to catch. Not in just terms of what we have to offer, but what we're able to do. We notice the woman did the pouring, but her sons did the carrying. Again, community effort to make the goal possible. Now her son, without her mother, is just carrying empty jars for no reason. On its own seems like a waste of time. On its own seems insignificant. And the mother, without the sons, is just pouring oil on the floor. Seems insignificant, dumb, a waste of time, and going to take a lot of time to clean up. Both separate seem insignificant. But when you put them together, God does a miracle. When you put them together, what seemed insignificant became significant. To iterate this point, I want to read another story to you from John chapter 6. This one maybe some of you have heard before. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And Jesus saw a great crowd of people. Notice that word great. They had followed him because they saw the signs and miracles that Jesus performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw again a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone to have a bite. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them to those that were seated, and as much as they wanted. There was plenty. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So 
they gathered them, they filled the 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. You maybe have heard this story many times before. If you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard this story so many times, and yet you still don't know that this story actually happened twice on two different events where one there was 4,000, one there was 5,000. So many people don't know that. Just a fun fact for you. <laughs> you've probably heard this story so many times that you feel it actually doesn't really feel significant for you. Yeah, I, I know that story, Pastor Susie. Heard it when I was seven. I've heard it a million times. But I want you to see in this story so many evidences of significance. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up, and this is the second time he said it, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. And Philip said, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Jesus notes it out. It's not just a crowd. It's a great crowd. There is a lot of people. Later in the scripture, we see that there was about 5,000 of them. What you might not know is that back in the culture and context back then, is that when they would count people and they would tally people, if you were not a male over the age of 20 years old, you didn't get counted. So in these stories, historians say that it was 5,000 men, but with all the men, on average came a wife and at least one child. So when they say 5,000, it's really more of like a minimum of like 15,000 people. A great crowd huge amounts of people, and Philip asks what seems like a very logical question. You know, how are we going to feed these people? We have a capacity problem right now. There's 15,000 people, and we don't have any food. How in the world are we going to feed all of these people? Verse 6, Jesus asked this only to test him, for Jesus already knew what he had in mind to do. I know right now we're having difficult conversations as a church, and if we're being honest as leaders, we don't 100% know what exactly we're going to do. We have ideas and thoughts, and we're praying. We're going to start fasting here in a few weeks, but we're humans. We don't have all the answers, but man, I'm glad that God does. Before there was ever even a problem, Jesus already knew the answer. It doesn't mean that what we're going through isn't real, but it means that we can be encouraged that at the end of our problem, God already has his solution. He already has his solution. Verse 6, again, he asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone to have a bite. This is impossible. This is impossible. We're not going to be able to make it happen. But here's what I want you to really see. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? If you've been at church a long time, you've probably heard about the 12 disciples a million times. But how many times do you hear about Andrew? Not many. He, he's in the Bible, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is like his first time ever. But you don't like, he, he's no Peter. He's no John. He's not even John a Baptist, and he wasn't even a disciple. Andrew, 
And even when it describes him, look at it again. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. The guy can't even be his own person. He's just someone else's brother. Any, mini, any, any middle children in the house? Can't even, can't even get his own name. He's just Andrew, brother of Simon Peter. I want you to understand here that this story started with the idea from someone who never really gets talked about all that often. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Jesus. It was Andrew. The guy who, if he were to go back and read the Bible, would probably feel pretty insignificant because he's not really talked about all that much. He's not the main attraction. He's not the star of the show. He's not the guy that gets too much camera time. He's just Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He's just, he's Andrew. How often do we even talk about Andrew? But his idea, his effort, his contribution is what set them up for a miracle. He who felt insignificant brought a change that God would use to change the world. Verse 9, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Sound familiar to the woman we just read about? We have a problem. I need an answer. But this is all I've got. This is all I've got. The boy offered the little that he had. Two people in the story that are really insignificant. Andrew, with the idea, and the little boy. A little boy. He's walking up to Jesus and his crew. I can't imagine how nerve-wracking that must have been. Like, oh, I know we got a huge problem here. I know we got a huge problem here, adults. But uh, I got some fish. Great. I'm glad you've got two fish. Thanks. Probably look a little bit like this. Can you imagine a little boy like, like tugging on their shirt? Jesus, I've got two fish. Get out, get out of my face. Like, we have a real problem. I don't have time for this little boy stuff right now, okay? I got, like, we got a real problem we got to take care of. This, this is all he had. Probably looked insignificant. But Andrew had the faith to believe that if we take what seems insignificant in the hands of the boy and we put it into the hands of Jesus, he can grow it. Because Jesus, what I need you to understand, Jesus is not a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. And he takes the little insignificant things that we think we have, and when he puts them in his hands, he grows them, he multiplies them. But first, the boy needed to be willing to give up what he had in order to put it into Jesus' hands and to be able to give it to his king who would turn into much. And as we continue down the story, verse 10, Jesus said, have the people go sit down. Because even though Jesus only had two fish and five loaves, Jesus knew he had what he needed to work with. In both stories, I want you to notice that there's a need and the people brought something that looked insignificant, and they would have called it, like the woman did, nothing. 
But I think if Jesus were to talk to that woman, he would say, eh, check again. Jesus, this is all the capacity that I have, and it's nothing. I think he'd say, check again. Because what you think is nothing is what I'm about to turn into something. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks. This is one thing that I'm making sure to check my heart. Jesus has a two fish and five loaves, has barely nothing. But he was thankful for what he already had. He was thankful for the very little that he had, all while asking God to give more. In all of your lives, I wonder if we're always asking God to increase our capacity, give us more, give us more. Are we grateful for what we already have? I need to check my heart and remind myself that while I'm so focused on how are we going to bring solution to our capacity, am I already grateful for the little that we have? But Jesus gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same as the fish. This is incredible. As much as they wanted. There was surplus. They weren't, hung, they weren't starving because there wasn't, they all had to take one little bite. There was enough for everyone to have their fill. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them. They filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had been eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. We have just witnessed a miracle. The people, they were in disbelief. But their miracle started with something that seemed really insignificant. The woman only had a small jar of oil. The boy only had two fish and five loaves. Looked like nothing. I really wish I could have been there to see this boy walk up to Jesus and his, and his crew. I can imagine some of the disciples being like, kid, we, we, don't, have, like, we, gotta, we don't have time for this. Like, we have a real problem on our hands. But Jesus said, even, even to his own leaders, what you think looks like nothing, I will turn it into something incredible if you'll take it out of your hands and put it into mine. I'll multiply it, I'll grow it, and I'll change it. Both these stories start with people who thought what they had wasn't enough. For some of you, you might feel like when you compare yourself to other people, this is all you've got. Just a little cup of oil. And maybe you've seen some people in our community and you think their capacities are way bigger than yours. Way bigger than yours. And you say, well, man, there's just so many talented people in our community. So many people with more money than I have. They've got so much to offer. And everybody has a different amount. Everybody has a different amount. You see some people in the community, they're good at so much. They've got more finances to offer than you. And you go, man, look at those people. Look what those people are able to do. And you say, you want to talk about our needs? Those people are the ones that should be giving. They've got so much. Those are the people that should be serving. They've got so much. They've got so many talents, so many gifts, so much potential. You know, they could really help be a blessing to the church. Just the two of them. 
Look at how much they're able to do. And they're able to fulfill quite a bit. And then you look at your own life and you say, and then there's me. And then there's the other guy that I know and the amount of money that I have, the amount of gifts that I have, barely even makes it look like the line is moving. And sometimes I think what is an issue of our capacity is that because so many people feel insignificant, they go, well, I might as well not even try. I've only got a few bucks to give, so I mean, what difference is that going to make? Might as well not even give it. I don't have much experience. I don't have much to offer, so I probably wouldn't even, I probably wouldn't even move the line much. So I might as well not even try. Or I don't have a lot of time. I could only serve the church for like one hour a week, and the church probably needs more than one hour a week, which is true. But we'll take even one hour. Even one hour can impact people because you're right. When you add just one little cup, doesn't seem like much. But when one person gives, and another person gives, and another person gives, and another person decides, you know what, I'm going to start serving. You know what, I'm going to start supporting the church. I'm going to start giving too. I'm going to take even just a little bit that I have, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to serve. And if there was more time of the day, we would have filled up all of these, over 500 of these little cups, and we'd pour them into this over and over and over again. And, and as you can imagine, even though, sure, some people do have more. Some people, you meet those people that you hate because they're good at everything. There are those people. And there are people that have more money than some of us. And we can put them in, but there's not 5,000 of those kinds of people. There's only a few. And so even if those people who give, which they should, and some of them do, it still doesn't solve our problem. What solves our problem is not by having five of these people, but by having 3,500 of these people. The people that, on surface level, you would say, man, they just... They just look so normal. Man, they just look so ordinary. Man, compared to others, they just look like nothing. This guy, though, have you seen his car? Have you seen how good he is at the things that he does? Sure. But I've already put him in. And it didn't change as much as you probably thought. And then can you imagine if this guy leaves? Whoop! But what if we had 3,500 of these, and one by one, people just kept pouring, little by little? I've only got five bucks to give. Can you imagine if 3,500 people gave five bucks? Right now, 182 people give. And that's not even every month. That's just literally the amount of individual people that have given over the entire year. 182 people. And a lot of people, they look at God Squad Church and they see what we've accomplished and they see the media exposure we had. They were in the Washington Post and da, da, da. they were on Kotaku, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. And they assume, man, they must have so much. So they don't even need what I've got because they must have so much. But in reality, this is what we've actually got. 
four pastors, a handful of volunteers, and 182 people who give on average $10 a month. We are grateful for every single person that serves. We are grateful for every single person that gives, even if all you can give is $10 a month. But as you can imagine, in the grand scheme of what we're trying to accomplish, that is not going to get us very far. And what happens is, as a core root of our capacity condition, a lot of people feel insignificant. So they don't give, and they don't serve. But because so many people don't give or serve, then in return what happens is all the people in our church are left feeling insignificant. And we don't have enough leaders, and we don't have enough pastors, and people join the discord, and they feel like they've just become one of another number. They want to get prayer, they want to be involved, they want to get plugged in. They want to be a part. They want to feel like they matter. But when the capacity can't handle all that God wants to bring us, they just feel like they don't really matter. When this is what we can handle and this is what we've got, if I were to fill up this cup, sure, it'd be full. It'd look great but so much of it would just fall onto the floor. So much of it would look like it didn't matter, but it does. Every person matters. Every soul matters. Every person that joins matters. Every person that needs prayer matters. Every person that reaches out matters. And as a core condition to our capacity, I think it's significance. I think there are many of you that are incredibly talented. God has given every single person, every person, gifts. And even if you feel like they look like this, if you'll join behind thousands of other people and pour in as well, we could fill up that jar. We could make a difference. And we could change the world. There are so many people who don't give because, oh, what's my, maybe you genuinely only do have $5 to give. What's my $5 going to give? What's it really going to do anyway? It's basically nothing. But yeah, 3,500 people did it. Then we could do a lot. Then we could make a difference. Then we could hire more pastors. Then we could take care of our people. Then all the benevolence things that we want to do in helping feed people helping single mothers pay some of their bills that they, they can't have because their husband just abandoned them, then we could help more people. Then we could disciple people and evangelize. But it will not happen until insignificant people start acknowledging that actually they are very significant, that you do have gifts, and that your little bit amount of finances does actually make a difference and I pray in Jesus' name that you'll know, even if the world has said you're nothing, Jesus gave everything to save you because you matter. When Jesus came to this world, did you know that he was born in a manger outside? The Bible even says that they couldn't even go inside because there wasn't any rooms available. 
You know who they make rooms for? You know who they, like, clear the schedule for? You know who they say, like, hey, you, you actually are getting kicked out because our VIP is coming. They do that for people who think they're significant. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, couldn't even get a room because the world considered him to be too insignificant. I was just a baby. Out of this teenage woman, Mary, like, who even is this lady? She's not very significant. But 33 years later, Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and had the most significant day in history made the most significant change that you and I could be restored back into our relationship with God so that those who would simply believe in God, ask for forgiveness of their sins, they could be reunited back to God. But we were saved by a Savior who the rest of the world thinks is insignificant. And because of Jesus, we have eternal life. And if the world thought that Jesus was insignificant, And he was able to raise from the dead. Did you know that the Bible says that the same power that rose him from the dead, it lives in you? And that's why it takes what you have that doesn't look like much, but when you put it into his hands, it changes everything. And so today I want to invite every single one of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you think you're like, no matter what you feel like you have, no matter what you feel like your capacity for your gifts and talents are, no matter what your financial capacity is, I want to invite you to step into your significance and step into your purpose and help our church continue to serve and love people around the world. I want to put it on the screen right now. Opportunities for you to serve. There are many opportunities where you get to use your gifts to serve our people. You can head to our website. There's going to be a link in the chat, and we're going to scroll down here. You can see we've got a hype team. Some of you are like, oh, well, I feel like I'm not good on, you know, doing all this stuff. But can you welcome people in the chat? Can you copy and paste a Bible verse so that other people can follow along and know where they want to read later? Some of you are like, yeah, I could, I could, I could probably do that. I, I, I don't feel like I have all this talent, but yeah, I could do that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, oh, well, I, I'm not the greatest person in the world, but I, I can pray. I, I could be in a prayer team. I could get together once a week to just look at what our people in our church are struggling with, which is all public in the Discord, and be like getting together to pray for people. Yeah, wow, yeah. I I thought this was all it was, but I could could do that. I could pray. Events team? Yeah, yeah, I could probably be a part of a team that brainstorms fun games for our community to play on Tuesday nights. What movie could we watch next? Yeah, I feel like I I could be a part of that. Even though I might feel insignificant, yeah, now that I see it, I, I could do that. Man, I've got, a, I've got a gift for media and videos and graphics. You don't need to be the best in the whole world. I started making our graphics for the church, and I'm terrible. Now we got someone better, praise God. But it started with someone that looked like this. And now we've got unworthy Seraphu. I don't know if there's a jar big enough to represent him. Maybe you don't feel very significant. But you could be a part of a team that together we could change the world. Maybe you look at some of our other teams, devotional writer. Maybe you've got some messages on your heart that you want to share with the community. And you could write a devotional that people read every day. Maybe you want to be what's called a small group leader. Our experience groups are one of the most beneficial things 
that our church does. It's a group of 10 people that get together every week, once a week for about an hour. They study the Bible together. They check in on one another. They're building trust and friendships. And so many people want to be in these groups, but guess what? They're all at capacity. At times, we've had waiting lists of people. Man, I'm hearing so much from the community of lives that are being changed in, I don't know there's oil in here, in experience groups. I wish I could be in one, but they're all full. Do you know what we could use? Experience group leaders. And we will train you. We will teach you. We'd love to get you involved in an experience group so you can get a feel for what it's all about. You can get a feel for what it's like. You don't need to feel like you know it all or have it all. You might feel like this. We'll teach you. We'll train you. We'll stretch you. And we will love you. We will serve you as you alongside us serve our people. You might feel insignificant. But when you put what you have into the hands of Jesus, he'll multiply it. We don't need more people that look like this. We just need all the people who look like this to decide, I'm not letting my gift that I called nothing go to waste anymore. For every single one of you, you have a different financial budget. You do. We all do. Every single person in this room has a different amount of money. That's okay. No one's better than each other. People whose bank accounts look like this are not better than people whose bank accounts look like this. But all of us have a little bit to give. And some people think, well, I just don't give because, I mean, what's my five extra dollars going to do? It's not significant. But if you'll take what you have and put it into God's hands, he'll use it. And I want to challenge some of you as we conclude our service today to go to our website to help us cure our condition with our capacity and to go on our website and to figure out, if I call God Squad Church my home, where do I want to serve? The question is not, should I? The question is, where? Where do I want to serve? If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that all of us are called to serve. Maybe you're in a season of life where right now you absolutely can't, but then be thinking about when. When, when I'm done with you know, this crazy season of life, when my kids are a little bit more independent, whatever it might be, then when am I going to serve? And then what am I going to do? But I would also encourage you to give financially to support the church. You can head over to godsquadchurch.com give. And I want to encourage you and invite you. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you, would you consider supporting on a monthly basis so we can increase our capacity to serve, reach, and bless, and love all the people that God has sent our way? In a few weeks, we're going to do something that most of you probably remember. It's called the Waymaker Week. We're going to bring it back on the table, and we're going to go crazy. We're going to do all kinds of stuff like we did last year to increase our capacity. And I want to encourage every single one of you, clear your calendars. Hopefully these dates are actually right. Because October 26th to the 30th, every day, we're going to be live and we're going to be raising money. And we're going to be increasing our capacity. We're going to be increasing our funds. But I would encourage you, don't even wait till then. If you are able to right now 
give your gift, whether it's one time or a monthly basis, would you be a part of what we're building and reaching people? We're not asking for finances so that we can start doing great things. We're asking for finances so we can keep up with all the great things God's already done. And then we'll ask him to do more. And for every single one of us, this is a decision that we need to make. To step into significance so we can make a significant impact in the world around us. Through our serving and through our giving. And I challenge you today to be thinking and praying about how God's going to use you next so you can be part of the cure to the condition of our capacity. Let's pray, and then there's going to be a video that's going to instruct you on how you can give. Father, we just ask you today, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, to help us. God, just like that woman, we don't really know, God, how we're going to move past this. But just like in the story in John 6, God, we're glad that you already do. And today, God, sincerely, we're asking you, Lord, to put it on the hearts of people, boldness and confidence to understand they are significant. What they have, what they offer, who they are, it matters. Even if they feel like it doesn't, it matters in the kingdom of God. And I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus that you would challenge and convict all of us to step into a position to serve, to volunteer, to get plugged in, but even to give. God, I know that it's difficult when we start talking about finances. I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us even if we feel like it's just a little. Because when we all do a little, we can do a lot. And so I just pray in Jesus' name for those today. Put it in their hearts to serve. Put it in their hearts to give. But also that they remember for their own lives. God, they are significant. They do matter. We ask you to bless our church. Bless our leaders. As God, we continue to work through this situation. Help us to check our capacity so we can grow your kingdom. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Here are the ways that you can give at God Squad Church. You can find links in the chat or below the stream at our Give panel, where you can donate via PayPal or on our website. Our website giving allows you to easily customize your donations to fit what works for you. Lastly, you can text any amount to the number 84321 to use our easy and convenient text to give. However you're giving, remember that every penny counts. And thank you so much for supporting our vision of helping gamers win together.